And now for something completely different. A few episodes ago, I promised something a little bit new and different, and here it is. Going forward, I'll be mixing in subject matter experts to give us actionable tips and tactics we can use right away to improve our businesses. This week, we start off with a bang, getting a master class in search engine optimization from Ezoic's marketer-in-chief, Tyler Bishop. If you think SEO is as simple as using the right keywords, paying for links, or it's a total mystery, you're in for a treat. I learned a ton, and I know you will too. Get ready to take notes, and be sure to stick around to the end for bonus info. by Tyler Benedict that explores the startup stories and growth tactics of hundreds of entrepreneurs, plus his own tips and tricks learned over two decades of launching, running, and growing businesses, including BikeRumor.com, the world's largest and most popular cycling tech blog. If you're thinking of starting your own business, the Build Cycle will give you the tools and inspiration to do it right. Now, let's dive into this episode of The Build Cycle. Tyler, you work for a company called Ezoic, and rather than me try and stumble through it, I'm going to let you give us just a quick elevator pitch on what you guys do and who are you and why we should trust you about SEO. Yeah, sounds good. Um, yeah, my name is Tyler Bishop, and uh, I'm a digital marketing uh, guy, I guess. I've been in this space for a long time, and like you said, now I work for Ezoic, where I we make basically machine learning or artificial intelligence for online publishers. So everybody, um, an online publisher is anyone that runs, you know, even this, you know, a small recipe website to the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times. And uh, we work with all kinds of different publishers that get traffic from uh, all the different platforms, Facebook, Google, you name it, and uh, basically help them uh, make smarter decisions at scale. And uh, my background really is I was a startup founder uh, out of, uh, out of uh, college. I started a, uh, I had a technology startup that was based in using positive psychology to uh, basically it was like an early version of the Gallup organization. And I successfully exited that business and then served as an interim CMO uh, or head of marketing for several uh, technology businesses over the years. And uh, I've won a couple of awards uh, for those efforts, some for marketing automation, some for SEO, and I serve as an SEO expert for startup boards. So um, I, I'm on a panel of judges for uh, a couple different startup competitions where I look and evaluate their marketing strategies early on and basically will provide some kind of uh, judging criteria around how I think they're doing. and. Um, about a year and a half ago, I came to was recruited to come work at uh, Zoic, and uh, since then I've kind of been the face and the uh, voice of a lot of our marketing efforts here, which really focus on helping online publishers grow their audiences. So when we talk about growing their audience, we usually talk about acquiring new traffic, and not, you know the motivation behind doing that in a lot of cases is to earn more money from 
ad revenue or for whatever reason they choose to monetize their visitors for. Um, but in a lot of cases, it's making money off of ad impressions and things like that. And so um, I have a very in-depth knowledge of all the inner workings of the Internet in a lot of respects because I've kind of had my feet down in a lot of different areas. And so, yeah, I'm excited to have this conversation. It should be fun and everybody should be able to uh, hopefully get something out of it. Cool. Yeah. And, and man, just looking through the blog on Ezoic, there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot of stuff I don't understand and I don't even pretend to know everything. But, you know, having run a big site for a while, I feel like I've had to learn some stuff. So rather than like overload and overwhelm, I wanted to focus this conversation mostly on SEO, search engine optimization, and kind of some things that people should do, can do, shouldn't do. Um, and we can kind of go off on tangents as need be, but you know, I figured the best way to start is let's just like, what's the low hanging fruit everybody should be doing for their website in terms of SEO? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, the, the term SEO in of itself is, it's kind of like this dirty terminology. And I, I say that because the industry has a kind of a bad reputation because a couple of things. I mean, everybody that, that owns a website has probably got emails from somebody at some point telling them, you know, trying to solicit them to use them for some type of SEO services or something like that. And um, when you're being pitched that kind of stuff, you're told all kinds of weird, odd things um, that if you don't have an extensive knowledge in, in basically how search engines work or have evolved, it's really easy to be taken advantage of in those respects or just be fed misleading information. And things have changed so much over the years that um, it's really easy to, to kind of have a misconception of the way things work. Um, so I would say in 20, 2017, 2018, you know, the, the landscape for SEO is, is very different. There's a lot more machine learning. Um, there's a lot less concrete things like definitely have this, definitely do that. There's definitely guidelines, but things have changed quite a bit. That being said, the low-hanging fruit for most uh, publishers or most people that, that webmasters in general, if you have a website uh, that has existed for more than, you know, I would say six months to a year, um, one of the things that people make a constant mistake uh, around is when they think about SEO or trying to grow traffic from, you know, like a search engine like Google, um, they think about writing new content or writing uh creating something that is going that is specifically targeted at a keyword or something like that what, the, what most don't realize is that you have content already that ranks it might just not rank very well um, and it may rank for high volume keywords and you may just be missing out on tons of traffic and this is something that I learned early on and something I've leveraged for forever and ever and it's something that's been really successful um, for a lot of our publishers that have shared this with as well and essentially what you want to do is you want to use a crawler like Simrush or Moz or uh, Hrefs or something like that and basically uh, crawl your site and figure out uh, what keywords you rank for and what their volume is. And so then once you understand that, you can sort that. And what you want to look for is the results that are fairly high volume. So high volume is relative to the site, but I usually tell people start at about uh, a monthly search volume of 500 or better. Look at keywords that are getting that many searches or more. And, um, and see where you rank between about 8 and 30 because what that means is that you are getting a very, very, very small amount of the total traffic that those keywords are generating on a monthly basis from a search engine. So 
if you look at the way that it's tiered down, the first result gets about 32% of the clicks and then it's just kind of on down. And then once you get into the eight range, you're like less than 1%. So what you want to do is get in that top eight essentially. And so the reward for actually getting in that top eight is pretty great. And the effort level to move from in that eight to 30 range to that top eight actually in a lot of cases isn't that difficult. And so what you want to do is essentially figure out where you're at in terms of um, ranking um, for those keywords. And then you basically want to go and look at those URLs and figure out what could I do to potentially influence my ranking on those pages. And in a lot of cases, people are like accidentally ranking for high volume keywords. You may find that the post that you rank, you know, number 12 for, for a high volume keyword, it's actually about something totally different. And so what you can do then is then go in and add a section to that piece of content that's specifically about the search term that you rank for. You can uh, include a new H2 heading with some body content and some images that are related to that, to that keyword and maybe even some backlinks and things like that and uh, some, um, some tier one sources or some credible sources that you can kind of say where you got that information from. And usually that'll be enough, especially if it's you know a post where you weren't specifically trying to rank for that keyword initially. And uh, typically, depending on the site, there are your site will have anywhere from you know, a hundred to, in some cases, thousands of these articles where this is possible, this process is possible. And uh, when you implement that site-wide, you go through, it's a little time consuming, but it's much, much easier than writing new content. And what you'll find is these sites, you can see traffic double or triple, or uh, in some cases I've seen traffic quadruple from people implementing this in just a matter of months. So to me, that is always where I tell people to start. It's broad advice that I can give around SEO that works for just about everybody. There's almost no risk because you're only adding content. You're not changing stuff or deleting stuff. So for me, that is like the safest advice to give people in 2017, 2018. All right, that was, I was gonna get to that. You kind of jumped way ahead of where I was thinking you'd go, uh, but that's great because I've got a lot of questions about that. And you, you wrote an article on your blog about, I think it was some college website, that they went through and did all of that stuff that you just mentioned. And uh, so I'm gonna link to that one because I think it'll probably have the names of like SimRush and Moz and some of the other tools they used rather than uh, having to dive deep on that in the short time we have here. But I do have some parts of what you just said I wanted to dissect. So sure, let's do it. First, uh, I've been wondering this for a while. Like w when you say going to put the H2 heading, so like right now, like on my site, Bike Rumor, we use an H3 heading to do like sections. So is there like, are we shooting ourselves in the foot by not just styling the H2 to be like what we're using the H3 for? Does it matter? Yeah, so that's a really good question. Uh, I, I find this a lot with publishers, especially publishers that are really content driven that maybe have gotten, um, you know, when they when they initially created their site, they were really creating their site because they had great content. They weren't necessarily webmasters to begin with. And a lot of times people will structure the way that an article or a post or even their site looks based on the fact that they just like the way it looks. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, what we what you typically want to do is you only want to have one H1 heading on a page. If you're a WordPress user or using any modern CMS, in most cases the page title is also implemented as the H1, so it's not really something you have to worry about. And then from there, what you want to do is kind of structure it in the same way you you'd structure notes inside of a college class, right? So you want to do H2, then H3, then H4, then H5. When you get into the H 
you know, five through sixes, et cetera, it's really not all that important. They're not really that um, applicable. Uh, but twos and threes are important. And typically what I always tell people is when you have the heading of a con- – when you're l- labeling the headings of a content section, so, you know, maybe you're dividing it paragraphs or sections of an article, H2s are typically what you want to go with. Um, those are the things that carry a little bit more weight or, and typically have in the past as well. And it's good to include, uh, this is kind of like a trade secret, but I mean, obviously you want to try to include the keyword if it's possible in the H2 and then the H3, it's not as important. Um, but one of the things that is really uh, beneficial is, especially if you're answering a question or you potentially could be answering a question, what you want to do is, um, you can use a tool like Moz or SimRush to see related queries, or you can even go into Google and type in the keyword that you think that you're going to uh, rank for and see what other queries that people are searching that are related to that. And if in one of your content sections inside of your article, you're potentially answering that question, what you want to try to do is incorporate that search query into your H2 because what that will do is it will potentially give you the ability to um, – everybody – Everybody that's not familiar, Google sometimes will answer the question at the very top of your search result. Uh, they'll just throw in you know, text from a website, and they call that knowledge graph. Um, when you have those queries in your H2, it gives you a really good chance that you'll appear in the knowledge graph, which means you'll automatically rank number one. And um, not only that, it, even if it doesn't leverage the knowledge graph, um, the chances of you ranking for these additional queries, which uh, assumably uh, have also fairly high volume because they're related to the same keyword that you're trying to rank for, um, those are really good strategies as well. So H2s are important. Um, it's good to have them that whenever you divide up your uh, your articles to go with the H2s first and then use H3s uh, underneath the H2s um, and to include your keyword or related keywords in the H2s if you can. Okay, and just real quick for people who have no idea what we're talking about, H2 is simply like a heading two, or H3 is heading three. And they typically, when you've laid out your website or whoever did, they they've styled it so like an H1 is going to have a bigger, bolder font than an H2, and then so forth and so on on down the line. Um, so it's it's Absolutely kind of a, a graphical thing, but then inside the code, it'll say H1, H2, H3. Uh, all right. So the the next part of that I want to dissect then is. Okay, so for a site like Bike Rumor or for any news site where it's like the whole gist of the site is to constantly be pumping out new stuff because we're covering, you know, in our case, cycling. So we want to always be pumping out what's the latest and greatest new bike or component or technology. So for stuff like that where most of our content is way more time sensitive than it is evergreen, is it still as much value to go through and, and kind of fix these old posts or... Is that sort of strategy better suited to like a business blog that might be writing more evergreen content on uh, topics that don't change for maybe years or decades? Well, I would say one of the things that I always encourage people to, to do is um, the, the nice thing about the way all this stuff works now is you can find out. Um, the answer to that question uh, is not uh, is not uh, gray, it's black and white. So basically when you crawl your site, you'll know if – if the juice is worth the squeeze essentially, right? So you can look at keywords that that old content ranks for in the volume, and then you can basically say, okay, I am either getting this search traffic or I'm not, and um, if I'm not, is there search traffic to even be had? Uh, do I rank you know, eight through 30 for content that is getting you know, a decently high volume? Um, and you can go out and you can, 
you can essentially figure that out if it's worth going back and scraping that old content or not. In most cases, I would say you would find that yes, it is. You'd probably be surprised. Um, the the other side of that is when you create new content, you may say, well, listen, I may this may be lowly competitive or maybe it's highly competitive. I'm not sure. Um, so it's, it makes a lot of sense that you would want to make sure that your content for, for these things that are uh, very time sensitive, that you would be number one or number two or something along those lines. And so what I would say in those cases is essentially you want to be very, very good at SEO in those respects so that you can beat out the competition. And one of the ways that you do that is you evaluate essentially, um, you know, if somebody else is writing a review of uh, some gear or something like that, you would go and you'd look at your re- their reviews and basically say, okay, if I was to augment or improve upon theirs, what would I do? And then essentially, when you create your content, you want to make sure that you do that. And then also include, again, in those H2s and different parts of the article, what other queries might people have about this specific product um, or about information in this article that I am potentially answering, and then make sure that you make it very clearly outlined both to your readers and to search engines that you are answering specific questions. So that means in plain language, spelling out exactly what questions you're answering. Gotcha. Okay. And then um, I'm blanking on my next question, so I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna skip it and probably come back to it for headlines and this is what I would call low hanging fruit, right? Like headlines. And we try really hard not to do clickbait headlines, but it's almost getting to the point where you can't compete with them. So you have to join them. But as far as, um, the things when people are writing their, their new articles, you know, like what I train my writers to always do is, okay, make sure the headline has the right keywords and key phrases that people are likely to search title your images, the image files really well, and then use alt tags to augment that description. And then uh, within the article itself, really try and use coherent phrases. So instead of saying like, you know, Trek just launched the new top fuel bike, say the new 2018 Trek top fuel mountain bike, because, you know, when people are searching, that's the phrase they're probably going to search for. So like, Beyond, like, what do you think of those? And then, like, what would you add to that as people are writing their story the first time around? Yeah, I think that that's uh, that's all solid advice. Yeah, um, uh, and I agree with you. I think I think clickbait gets a bad rap sometimes. I think clickbait like titles are more important for like when you have your like a page title or something like that for search engines, but then also like in social media as well. But I think you can do it in a, in a way that's ethical and responsible. I always tell people. You know, clickbait is only called clickbait if you click on something and it doesn't deliver on what the title is. If if something has a really appealing title um, and then it the content within that is really solid and really good, no one's going to have any complaints about that. Um, and so I always think, I always tell people, make sure that your title is in line with your content. Uh, that being said, um, I think one of the, the biggest uh, errors that I see publishers make a lot of times is um, not using data on the front end of an article. Um, and so that being, with that being said, like, what am I going to put in my title? What am I going to put in my alt image tags? Like, what, what, are, what keywords are important? You may say, well, uh, Trek, you know, the Trek uh, H28 mountain bike is definitely what people are going to search. You might find out that people actually search something slightly different for that. Uh, and then you can look at related queries and say, oh man, like if I look at these related queries, I can see that there are actually a lot of searches around this specific product, but they're all around the, um, uh, they could be around the durability of it. I don't know. I'm just 
kind of spitballing here. But um, and so then you may say, okay, well, I want to include big sections on this and make sure that I include uh, information about this on there as well. And all this stuff is readily available. It takes, you know, I always tell people it takes if it takes you, you know, three or four hours to create a really good piece of content. Um, it takes you 20 minutes to do, you know, really good research on it and to make sure that you don't waste that next three or four hours. And, um, you, it, it's really true. I mean, I've spent so much time, um, researching articles in the very beginning to find out they just really weren't worth writing if I want to, uh, do high volume search traffic and, um, or even small little changes that I might have to the premise of my article or something like that. So, I would just say um, it's really easy to do research on the front end of these things to figure out exactly how you should maybe structure a title uh, or even structure some of the content that's going to go within the article. Where are you doing that research? So I like to use SEMrush um, uh, and I use Moz as well. I mean obviously at Azoic I have a bevy of tools because I help publishers out every day as well. So. I can access just about every tool. They're they're not all uh, really inexpensive. There are free versions of a lot of this stuff that's out there, and so uh, a single publisher could probably get away with uh, using kind of the free versions of stuff. But I like Moz's Keyword Explorer for uh, doing front end research on keywords, and I like Simrush's uh, crawling tool to evaluate my existing site. So um, two different tools. You can look at both. Uh, Hrefs is another tool that people use. There's also something called Raven Tools. Um, they're kind of more old school, but they have some good technology as well. And then there's a lot of newcomers to the market. Um, WordStream also has a free keyword tool that uh, will work fine in a pinch, and it's free. Um, so, yeah, WordStream is another good free tool you can use. Cool. What was the other one you mentioned that started with an H, I think? Hrefs. Uh, so it's A. H R E F S, and that's a that's one I know. We have publishers that um, that use that quite a bit. I I personally, uh, of all the different tools I've used, I've never used them just because I've been really happy with Moz and Simrush. But um, I don't want to make it sound like I'm a shill for any of them. They most of the tools do generally the same things, and it just comes down to like how you like the interface, how you like they display the data. I like Moz for front end research, and I like Simrush to evaluate stuff. Okay, cool. So what are some of the, you know, maybe like common mistakes you see people making besides a lack of research when they're writing their article and then beyond the common stuff, you know, what are some like black hat things that you should definitely not do? Well, so it's really interesting. Uh, I would say black hat's not completely dead, but I would say that the, the problem with it is, is, um, if you think that you're going to do something black hat and you're not just like a super expert in SEO and have been doing it for a long time, you're probably going to get burned uh, and burned badly at some point because the webmaster guidelines are always getting more sophisticated at enforcing them. And anything that you're doing that's not above board, um, they're getting better and better ways to to find out. And they're not going to tell you necessarily anymore that they're going to make changes or implement it. And so you may just wake up one day and all your traffic would be gone. So I would say be really careful about that, especially as it comes to like, buying backlinks or something like that. And that's one of the things that I see people take advantage of a lot is there seems to be this like really heavy uh, emphasis on backlinks right now. Um, but I think that that's dying. I think this idea that you're going to go out and pay somebody to, to secure backlinks for you and all this stuff, don't waste your money. Um, one of the things Google said here recently is they um, is they basically are dynamically weighting param search parameters based on the query. So what that means is, and this makes total sense, 
is uh, and they're using artificial intelligence to do this. So basically, what that means is, so let's say you have a search query for um, uh, toys. You're reviewing toys or something along those lines. They may say a toy review is not something that it really makes a lot of sense to weight the backlinks really strongly for. So if you were to look at backlinks as a ranking signal, you say, well, for a query about toy reviews, it's probably not all that important because someone's opinion about toys, I don't necessarily need CNN.com or some place like that to have a referral link to this site to tell me that this is a good toy review or not. It might make sense for us to look at other factors to determine if this is a good search result to have at the top. On the other hand, if we are, if uh, I'm a news site and I write in the search query is about something related to Donald Trump, um, it's probably probably really important to make sure that that website or that article has a decent amount of credible backlinks with you know the rise of fake news and and that kind of stuff. You're probably looking for the you know more signals that this may be a credible credible article. So backlinks probably is going to make more sense. Uh, on an article like that is a, is a ranking signal. So what Google is doing is basically saying, okay, ranking signals are going to change based on what the person searches, and we're going to figure that out by allowing machines to basically work out what's important, what's not important for us. Uh, this is something we do at Azork with a lot of different things, but basically what they're doing is they're testing. They're testing to figure out how different variables affect the search queries, and they're looking for which ones end up being the highest quality. Um, so to that point, and I'm going to make a little bit of a jump here, um, when you ask me what common mistake do publisher or, or website owners, et cetera, making right now uh, that's pretty easy to fix, um, it's essentially that. It's this idea that uh, one size fits all, and um, it's this idea that you know something looks good or something, um, I think this, therefore that. Um, realize that every visitor that comes to your website is completely different and they may like something totally different from you uh, and that may be the minority of people um, or it could be the majority but the only r real way to understand that is to test it and to measure it and to use data and um, eventually I believe that most webmasters and web publishers will use machine learning uh, or artificial intelligence to some degree to uh, personalize their sites um, to fit their users uh, Facebook Google etc they all do this um, but I think uh, most websites will eventually catch up to this. But until then, it's really important to rely on data to determine what is uh, effective and what's not. And the only re real way to know that is to test. Right on. Okay. So as far as search engine optimization goes, it's uh, it sounds like just basically well-crafted content that has, you know, takes into consideration what people are actually searching for is kind of like that's the secret, right? Or are there other – what else should you add to everything we've talked about so far? So, I mean, yeah, I mean they always – you know, the, con the, the classic line is content is king, but it is. And um, I think where people kind of like um, get a little bit lost in this is – you know, are a little bit frustrated is you hear things like content is king and you have publishers that are like, well, I just want to write great content then and that advice isn't all that helpful. And I would agree it's not helpful because that's the problem is what's good for you and what's good for me may be totally different, right? So I may be looking for one thing in a review of a product. You may be looking for something completely different uh, when we're doing a search in, in a search engine. And so what's actually the content that's the best? Well, we can use data to figure this out. Um, 
basically the way that you are able to determine if your content is quality or not is one, I mean, it depends on how you're getting your traffic, but if we're talking about search specifically, I can find out, am I answering the questions that people are searching for effectively, right? And uh, if I'm not ranking well, in a lot of cases, I'm probably not. Um, are my competitors answering it better than me? And by competitors, I mean the people that rank in front of me. I can look at their material and say, are they answering questions I'm not? And then also, what other questions do people that are searching for this, what other questions do they have? What else are they looking for that I can provide them? And uh, if you are providing those things to them in your content, then you're doing the right thing and you're probably going to rank really well in those search engines. But I think a lot of times people, um, especially publishers in a lot of cases too, um, because they maybe have found success in the past where they built audiences based on their content uh, before, they rely a lot on their gut, which there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, in a lot of cases, these, these people are experts in a certain subject, and that's why they've gotten to where they're at. But uh, relying on your gut in a lot of cases whenever you're trying to really effectively, strategically grow something, um, it can actually be counterproductive um, and counterintuitive in a lot of respects as well. So. I would just say that um, content is king and quality content will always win out. Um, but I think people need to, to really evaluate how they how they would classify what quality content is. Right on. Okay. And so I remembered what my question was before. So when you're talking about going back and kind of rewriting old content to improve it and make it more relevant to what people are searching for, uh, sort of a two-part question is like – Assuming Google and everybody else has already crawled your site, they've already kind of logged that original article, how do they know that you've updated it? Uh, you know, do you need to let them know somehow? Do they just continually recrawl your site? Like, What's the step to make sure that the changes get noticed? That's a good question. So uh, eventually as people continue to search, uh, search that query or whatever, Google will recrawl it as, uh, as it is it populates the results for the uh, different queries. The more often something is searched, the more often they're likely to crawl the different pages of the queries. The stuff that's in the top 10, the top 20 is gonna get crawled more often than stuff that's like ranked in number 80. But you can always tell Google to go ahead and crawl it anyways. And so always encourage publishers, when you get done updating this, hopefully you have Search Console set up. If not, it's a free thing you can do with Google. Just go and go to Search Console and then all you have to do is set it up, and usually that means just connecting it to a Google Analytics account or throwing a small uh, HTML tag on the page. And then then basically you have access to the Search Console interface. And it's basically – it's Search Console is a tool. It's They used to call it Webmaster Tools, but it's a tool that you can use from Google to basically have Google communicate with you, tell you if there's errors on your site. It gives you some really basic uh, – it's actually kind of like a first version – uh, edition of a lot of what the SE, original SEO tools were. It tells you if you have crawlers um, and a bunch of other stuff. But what you can do is there's a there's a tool down there that says fetches Google. And what you can do is you can take the URL of the page that you've just updated, put it into the fetches Google and click fetch. And then once that happens, there'll be a little thing that populates. And over on the right, it'll say submit to index. And what you can do is you can click on that and then uh, it'll ask you to like click on something and verify it, and you can say crawl only this page, and you hit submit, and then Google will crawl that page within 24 hours. Cool. Okay, and then my next question kind of about that and everything we've talked about is like, you know, so you're going through all this effort, like how do you measure that now? How do you know what you're doing is working? Yeah, that's a really great question. So um, 
you know, let's let's just assume that what what you're trying to achieve is increased traffic, right? So, using Google Analytics, it's really easy to to siphon or to segment, and and this is a good good piece of advice. If you're not using segments in Google Analytics, you totally should. It's a really easy way to kind of like um, look at different sections of your traffic. All you have to do is at the top of Analytics, you'll see this little section. And at the top, it'll say all traffic probably in your segments, but you can actually change that. And there's a preset segment called organic traffic. And you can kind of evaluate that. And then what you want to do is you want to look at it by landing page. And that will kind of give you an idea of um, you want to look at diversity. So how much of my traffic am I getting from different landing pages? Am I getting 90% of my traffic from like one search query? I'd, you know, it's probably just like in business, it's good to diversify your risk. And so you want to try to get as much traffic as you can from as many different landing pages as possible if you really want to diversify your risk. So you can see how that's uh, effectively changing. You can see how different landing pages over time may be increasing or decreasing in traffic and how many new landing pages are accounting for what percentages of traffic. So let's say your problem right now is that 90% of your traffic comes from a single landing page um, and you make a decent amount of changes. What you can do is you can look in analytics over time periods to see am I effectively changing that? So when you look at the landing page results, it'll have a percentage next to it and you can see like, oh, well now I've decreased my risk. That landing page is only accounting for 75% of traffic now because of the changes that I've made. I've got some new landing pages now that are acquiring some of my traffic. But the other way that we've uh, figured out uh, and we provide this to a lot of our publishers, I have a calculator that you can use. And so if you do generate uh, some of your, or you know, a lot of your, uh, re you know, revenue as a publisher from uh, advertisements. We always encourage people to look at um, EPMV when they measure the revenue, which EPMV is earnings per thousand visitors. It basically looks like it looks at the total amount of revenue that a user session generates. So a lot of stuff in this industry is based on RPMs, uh, which is rate, basically the rate uh, at which a page makes. Um, or a page view earns, or CPMs, which is how much an ad earns. But those are actually kind of red herrings because you can have high CPMs and high RPMs and have basically low total session earnings. And the reason being is I get through a whole bunch of autoplay video and vignette uh, ads and things like that on a page, but then people may just exit. They may just bounce after viewing that first page, and I lose the ability to show them ads on subsequent pages. And so ultimately, I'm going to earn lower revenue from those users. And so what I want to do is actually track how much revenue I'm earning from every session, so the total amount of revenue earned from every page view. Um, and so, I mean, it's kind of a short aside, but I'm, I'm looking at EPMV in general. And so what I want to do is take my EPMV, and then the total amount of traffic that I was getting from uh, a search term before, and then the amount of traffic that I'm getting from it now, and then if I know what my page, uh, that landing page's EPMB is, I can compare the two, and I can actually see how much revenue my um, my changes are actually benefiting me on a monthly basis. And so I actually built a calculator based on these things, where you can basically say, here's the volume. The, this, the monthly search volume, which you can get out of any keyword tool uh, for this search term. Here's where I ranked before. Here's where I rank now. Here's how much, e here's the average EPMV of people that land on this page, which you can actually get out of your result dashboard. Um, and the calculator will basically say, okay, because you moved from here to here, um, you're actually making an extra you know, $45 per month. 
And then you can say, oh, it took me 25 minutes to make the changes to that page. So I earned essentially, you know, a little over $100 an hour for my efforts there because I spent 25 minutes doing it. I earned a little over $45. So, hey, that's pretty great. So, um, yeah, we all, I, I, I have that calculator available. Some of our publishers love it and they swear by it. Others just like to evaluate their traffic. Um, but I'm extreme. I mean, as you can't tell, I'm, I'm very data driven about these things. Um, and the reason why is, is basically I've seen so many people taking advantage of in this space and there's just so many people that claim to be experts on this kind of stuff. And so I always kind of try to poke holes in as much of it as I can. And I always just ask the question, why, why, why? And, um, with this more than anything else, it's one of those things where it's like, I like to throw it out there as proof. You know, you need to prove it to me if, if I'm going to believe you about any of this stuff, because I've been around for a long time and been really successful in this stuff. And I've seen a lot of people claim to be successful in this material when they've really just gotten lucky. All right. Well then I, I feel like I know you got to run soon. So a good last question is to jump right back to where we started when you mentioned, you know, like things change so fast. So these, you know, tons of emails we all get as a publisher saying, hey, you know, let us improve your SEO. Let us do your SEO for you. Guaranteed first page ranking, all that crap that <laughs> comes through. Like, uh, <laughs> should we just delete all of those? Or like if somebody is feeling lucky, like what should you look for if you were going to hire somebody to do SEO for you? What are some of the things that you should look for? What are the, you know, like who's doing it right? It's a great question. It's a really good question. Uh, and this is probably one of the number one questions I get asked. So, I mean, just like anybody else, uh, I have tons and tons of friends. And in this day and age, um, you know, you, you divide, if you've got a hundred friends, a number of those people either have businesses or work for somebody and they, they have a website. And, um, when you have a website, everybody's always interested in, in SEO. So I get first question I always get from my friends is, you know, do you have time to do any of this stuff or can you help us out? My, my answer is almost always no. And <laughs> the reason being is I just don't have the time to do it, you know? And, and unfortunately that seems to be the case across the board with people that are really good in this space. And so what that means is, is that in most cases, the people that are really good at this and the people that can probably provide value aren't probably emailing you uh, or have sales people that are emailing out just kind of blanket reaching out to publishers. So I would say, yes, unfortunately, in most cases, those emails that you're getting from people, just delete them, ignore them. Regardless of what they try to tell you, I would say your best bet is, is to do your own research uh, and find uh, exactly what you're looking for. That being said, I think one of the things that people make the mistake of doing is they broadly search, well, I, I want to just rank higher and I want SEO, like in this broad context. And unfortunately, um, starting with that premise is how it, it is kind of a recipe for disaster in a lot of respects because what you really want to try to achieve with this is kind of like um, draw a circle around specifically what your goals are. So um, when it comes to SEO, what is it, what is it that you want to achieve? Um, do you want to do you want new content uh, to rank higher? If so, then it's front end research. Um, do you want your old content to rank higher? In which case, it's really going back and combing through that content um, and potentially some page speed things and some kind of site tune up stuff. But what's nice is there's all these great crawl tools out there right now where you can, you know, SimRush will do it. If you're an Azoic publisher, uh, we'll, we'll run a SimRush report for you with crawl errors and all that kind of stuff uh, automatically. But there's a lot of, if you just search a website crawl 
crawl or crawl tool or something like that. There's a lot of free ones out there. And so you can have your site crawled and then you can basically say, okay, I have these errors on my site and I don't know because maybe you don't have the experience in, in SEO or not if these are negatively impacting my site or not. Then go out, find somebody and say, hey, listen, I had this crawl report. I had these errors. Can you tell me what's relevant and, uh, and how I might go about fixing this? And then that way you kind of limit the, the damage that can be done. You can basically say, oh, okay, this person's going to – I count on this person to tell me that these things are actually things that need to be fixed and I'm just going to pay them just to fix these things. I'm not going to buy any additional services or anything like that. Everybody wants to lock in a monthly contract as well. Um, that's just the nature of a lot of these businesses. Most people don't need this, um, but it's how you keep those businesses up and running. It's like they catch 22 of it. Um, it's why consulting in this area is like so unattractive to me is because <laughs> in most cases, everything that I can do to benefit you, I can do in about a month's time. And it really doesn't make sense to pay you every month to do this stuff. But they that's kind of how those businesses operate. And so essentially what you want to do is do your front end research, crawl your own site, figure out if there's stuff that needs to be fixed. If there's page speed stuff that be, can be done. And if there is and you don't know how to do it, then you can pay somebody to do it. And it's it should be relatively inexpensive um, as it comes to front end research and then, you know, looking at your site before um, I try to make as much of that stuff available for free on blog.azoic.com. Um, but there's tons of other people out there that are writing about this stuff. So what I tell all my friends is basically if they're, if they're want, trying to hire me to do it, I always tell them like, listen, you can hire somebody to fix the stuff that maybe is wrong with your site that's holding it back. But then it comes down to your content that you're going to have to manipulate in some way. And you're the best person to do that. And so I always tell people invest their time in, in kind of learning these base things of how to review your old content, how to make it better, uh, and then how to do a little bit of front-end research just so that you can um, you, you know, maybe not have to do it again in the future. But then also – um, just so that your content will rank higher initially. It's not hard to learn how to do some of these things, especially in this day and age. So it's really those three categories, uh, and two of which I would say don't find other people to help with, and then one I would say, yeah, definitely find somebody to help. But I think the days of paying people to help you with backlinks and a lot of that other kind of stuff, I would say ignore that. Um, and if it's if it's a real pain point and it's really, really necessary that you do this stuff, hire a true webmaster, and then that person should really be able to cover all this stuff for you as well. Awesome, man. Well, I know you got to run. So thank you so much for your time. It was great. I learned a lot. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate you having me on. This is a cool podcast and I enjoy talking about this stuff. Sometimes when I get asked these questions, I really don't know what's going to come out. And I know my answers get kind of <laughs> long and long winded, but it's really because there's so many frauds in this space that uh, when I talk about this stuff, I want to make sure that I'm not confused for one. So I feel very compelled to share as much complete information as possible. That's perfect. I love it. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Tyler. Appreciate it, buddy. Oh, yeah. I'll be honest. The tips Tyler laid down were not at all what I was expecting, which is precisely why I seek out new voices and true experts for this podcast. He dropped a ton of knowledge here, so I've done something different with the show notes on this episode. There's an overview of all of his best tips, followed by links to all of the online tools he mentioned with descriptions of each so you know exactly which ones to use for what. Plus, a little bonus section at the end that defines some of the terms used so you are fully up to speed on everything you need to know to maximize your website's SEO and start showing up on the front page of Google every day. Head over to thebuildcycle.com and search Bishop to find this episode's notes. Like this? 
Want me to dive deep on another topic you're desperately trying to understand? Leave me a comment in that post or hit me up on social media. I'm at The Build Cycle on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let me know what you want to hear more of. Thanks for listening. Here's hoping you find what you're searching for. Until next time, keep building.